Welcome to another episode of PEM Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Soboleski. And today we're going to focus on the treatment of hyperkalemia in the pediatric emergency department. So in general, a potassium level greater than 5.5 millimoles per liter in children and more than 6 millimoles per liter in newborns is considered a medical emergency. Now, how emergent that is depends on EKG changes and the overall clinical status of the child. Treatment is recommended when there are any sort of EKG changes or when potassium levels are greater than 6 to 6.5 regardless of EKG findings. There are certainly many causes of hyperkalemia, but the most common ones that we'll see in children, especially those that present to the ED, include increased intake, redistribution of potassium from intracellular to extracellular, or decreased renal excretion. The latter is where we're going to see the most kids with severe and significant symptoms. But frankly, the most common reason you'll see a high potassium on an electrolyte panel is pseudo-hyperkalemia, i.e. hemolysis of a blood sample obtained from a heel stick or a non-free-flowing IV catheter. Now, as I mentioned a moment ago, the most common real source of actual high potassium in children in the ED is in patients with end-stage renal disease or acute renal failure. The clinical manifestations are broad but include weakness, confusion, reduced deep tendon reflexes, and muscular or respiratory paralysis. Several notable EKG changes are seen and often appear on pediatric boards. The most classic one is the early peaking of the T waves. This is followed by a decrease in the R wave amplitude, widened QRS complex, and a prolonged PR interval. Late stage, you can see complete heart block with absent P waves, and finally, a sine wave appearance. And this generally occurs when the K is 7 and above. Now, between one patient to the next, the level of potassium does not necessarily correlate with the significance of the EKG changes. And a great take-home point is that clinical signs can occur when serum K rises, but most significant clinical signs will start when the K is above 7. All right, let's get into the meat of this podcast and focus on treatment. The goals of treatment are to interrupt the negative cardiac effects of high potassium, to reverse symptoms related to hyperkalemia by shifting potassium from the extracellular to the intracellular compartments, and return serum potassium back to normal levels while avoiding overcorrection. Now, the initial management of hyperkalemia starts, as always, with the ABCs. Place the patient on cardiopulmonary monitors and get an EKG. If the K is high, especially greater than 7.1, place defibrillator pads and a CPR board. Obtain IV or IO access, or access the central line, whether this is a central venous catheter, port, or pick if the patient has it. Don't access a dialysis catheter. Lab-wise, you'll want to obtain blood, like an iStat or a rapid blood gas, an electrolyte panel, including calcium, phosphorus, magnesium, get a CK, a cortisol, and a urinalysis. Obviously, some of these will be more valuable for the acute management and others for nephrologists and critical care medicine physicians taking care of the child later. You definitely want to stop any ongoing source of potassium to the patient. 
Most commonly, this is TPN. All right, let's move on to specific therapy. The most rapid treatment for hyperkalemia in a severely acidotic patient is hyperventilation. So if you have a patient that is coding or near coding, you know, like VTAC, you can hyperventilate them. This will drive K back into the cells. The most effective way at removing potassium is hemodialysis. And no, we don't have hemodialysis readily available in the ED, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't call the nephrologist early to let them get continuous renal replacement therapy set up upon admission. The first main goal of medical therapies is to decrease myocardial excitability. So let's start with calcium. Either calcium chloride at 20 milligrams per kilogram or calcium gluconate at 60 to 100 milligrams per kilogram are given to reduce the effects of high potassium at the myocardial cell membrane. So the cardiac response to potassium is seen within five minutes and the effects can last up to one hour. Either drug is given as a five-minute infusion, and you can repeat the dose if you don't see EKG changes in 10 minutes. Now, I've always struggled with the difference between calcium gluconate and calcium chloride. Essentially, they both work and they're both effective. I would advise you to use calcium gluconate if you have peripheral access because it's less irritating to the vein. If you have central access or you have a child in an arrest state, then give the calcium chloride. After using calcium to decrease myocardial excitability, you'll want to initiate methods to decrease the serum potassium level. This is accomplished by temporarily shifting potassium from the serum into the cells, though this has no effect on the total body potassium, and ultimately, all these therapies should be given together and less contraindications are present, which I'll go over. The first is IV sodium bicarbonate. This is one milliequivalent per kilogram, IV given over five minutes. The onset is in about 15 to 60 minutes, and it will last 12 to 24 hours. You can repeat it in 10 minutes or so. Ultimately, you'll want to use bicarb because it will help shift potassium from the extracellular to the intracellular compartment. You want to use it only when the patient has known or suspected acidosis, a pH less than 7.35, but do not administer it in patients with respiratory failure due to their inability to eliminate it in case of increased amount of carbon dioxide. Therefore, they'll develop a more significant respiratory acidosis. Next in line to decrease serum potassium levels is the combination of IV insulin and dextrose. So you'll give dextrose 0.5 grams per kilo, a max of 25 grams, as either D25 or D10 in neonates, combined with regular insulin, one unit for every four to five grams of dextrose, and the max is five units of insulin. This is generally mixed together in one bag and infused over 60 to 120 minutes. As you recall, insulin moves potassium inside the cells. Insulin also lowers glucose, so you give glucose so that you don't become hypoglycemic. If the patient is severely hyperglycemic, like 400 or 500, you don't necessarily need to give the dextrose. 
The third and final immediate treatment that can help you decrease serum potassium levels is nebulized albuterol. This beta agonist will, if you sense the pattern, drive intracellular movement of potassium. And this is done through stimulation of the sodium-potassium ATP pump. You'll use 10 milligram albuterol nebulized over 10 to 15 minutes. The onset is in about 30 minutes and it lasts two to four hours. Note that this dose of albuterol is up to four times higher than that used for bronchodilation in asthma. Common side effects as expected are tachycardia, flushing, and tremors. Third-line treatments for a sick child with hyperkalemia are focused on helping eliminate potassium from the body. These include IV furosemide, which decreases total body stores by increasing urinary excretion of potassium. It is certainly not indicated in patients without functioning kidneys. It's dosed as 1 milligram per kilogram at a max of 20 milligrams IV, not to exceed 0.5 milligrams per kilogram per minute or 4 milligrams per minute. And note that I didn't even mention K-exalate. It's a drug that binds with potassium in the GI tract and helps eliminate it from the body. The dose is typically one gram per kilo. You should really reserve its use for children who are more stable, who can take it PO or PR, and its use in neonates should really be reserved for refractory cases. But I'm not going to start a K-exalate enteral infusion on a child with EKG changes in the trauma bay. This is a later therapy for the child that's already been admitted. And if I haven't driven it home enough yet, hemodialysis, though not an ED therapy, is definitely indicated as the most effective way to eliminate potassium from the body. It requires considerable lead time to set up continuous renal replacement therapy, and a large bore central line is required. While management is ongoing, consider rechecking potassium levels every 15 to 30 minutes. Certainly resuscitate the patient as indicated. Search for and treat underlying causes, and please get your nephrologist and critical care doctors involved as early as possible. For patients in the arrest or peri-arrest state, you can remember the mnemonic CBIG, calcium chloride, bicarb, insulin, and dextrose in that order. So, in summary, the most important clinical effect of hyperkalemia is related to the electrical rhythm of the heart. Mild hyperkalemia is between 5.1 and 6, moderate hyperkalemia between 6.1 and 7, and severe hyperkalemia 7.1 milliequivalents per liter or greater. Normal potassium blood levels are critical for maintaining normal cardiac electrical rhythm, muscle function, both smooth and skeletal, and nerve function. Know that hypo and hyperkalemia can lead to arrhythmias. A slowly rising potassium level, as seen in chronic kidney disease, is better tolerated than an abrupt rise. Therapies that antagonize the membrane effect of hyper-K and are used to stabilize the myocardium include calcium gluconate or calcium chloride. Therapies that drive extracellular potassium into the cell include the combination of insulin and dextrose, 
sodium bicarb, and beta-2 adrenergic agonists. Therapies that remove excess potassium from the body include dialysis, diuretics, and cation exchange resins, aka KXLate. All right, that's all I have for hyperkalemia and its management in the pediatric ED. As always, you can check out pemblog.com for more great educational content. You can follow me on Twitter at PemTweets, and certainly leave me a review. The feedback is very much appreciated. Until next time, this has been Brad Soboleski for Pem Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast. And finally, respect the potassium and make sure it doesn't get into the danger zone.